Welcome to the Figuring Out Families podcast by Magellan Media, where we explore and build awareness of the issues faced by families today, and in doing so, set about figuring out families. This is episode four in series one. David Ahern, welcome to Figuring Out Families. My guest today is Dr. Robin Miller, CEO of MacKillop Family Services. Her organisation provides numerous services in the areas of disability, youth support, family, education and out-of-home care. Welcome Robin to Figuring Out Families. Thanks very much David. Uh, We'll get to the specifics of some of these programs shortly but perhaps you could start by giving us a broad outline of the types of assistance provided by MacKillop Family Services. I believe it's a pretty large organisation. Yes, well at MacKillop Family Services we're almost, uh, we're over 1400 staff now and uh, yeah so we've we've almost doubled in the last three years because the need is very great and we've been able to attract funds to provide more services. We provide programs in Victoria and in New South Wales and in WA and ACT. Uh, However we've um, uh, we provide training and consultation nationally. Okay. Any chance that you will expand to other states or are you happy with where you are at the moment? We have been asked to provide services in other states, so we are looking at that. But what we've been very conscious of is the quality of what we're doing and not dropping the ball with what was already being provided. So we're very conscious around um, that culture of um, excellence and we're very committed to training our staff very well. So we've also, you need to be, if you're growing your, your, your programs and your frontline services, you need to make sure that your back of house support services are in order and, and we've needed to grow those too, our IT, our finance, all those sort of back of house things that make programs possible to be implemented. Right. So there's a chance that you could become too big and things could get lost along the way. And you mentioned quality of services. Well, we've really focused on that. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased our employee engagement survey has shown that we've actually increased at the engagement by 20% from five years ago. So we're, we're I think the, the, the double sort of um, focus, if you like, on nurturing our staff so that we can nurture children and, and families who are experiencing difficulties uh, has, has made a difference. And also training everybody to understand trauma and to be trauma-informed and, and to know how to respond. Right. We will speak a bit more about uh, trauma as we go along. Uh, Other people I've spoken to in this podcast series so far say that the number of families in need has increased dramatically. Would you concur? And if so, why is the need for assistance so much greater now? What's causing the problems? David, I think the the drivers of that growth um, um, are multifaceted, but but one sort of killer statistic is that in the last decade, the number of children in out-of-home care has increased by 82%. Really? 82%? 82%. That's in the last decade. So before going to MacKillop three years ago, I was at the Royal Commission for 18 months working um, behind the scenes and looking at the research and particularly looking at vulnerable children and families in contemporary circumstances. And uh, if you look at all the different states and territories of Australia, there are four main drivers of children into the child protection system, and uh, which is the gateway, of course, if children are then needing to be placed, can't live with their families and placed in out-of-home care, what we call foster care or, or residential care or kinship care. 
Um, but those four main drivers are, are really clear. The evidence is in on that. And, and that's family violence, uh, drug and alcohol misuse, so substance abuse in families, mental health difficulties in the parents, and uh, also disability. And, and sometimes the complexity of all four, you know, where we, what we call cumulative harm or cumulative vulnerability. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 is, it seems to be spiralling out of control, and that's what other people have told me too. Is there any way around it, or what, what more can be done to uh, help families in crisis? We've, we've got to get in earlier. We, we know fairly much, the, the early parenting centres can say, you know, probably one in five families or children present with some sort of vulnerability or, or disability or, or problematic behaviour. And frequently when you talk to primary school teachers and that they, they are the same young people showing up in primary and then secondary school. So we can actually predict um, a lot earlier what uh, we need to do in order to outreach to the more vulnerable families. So where there's transience and homelessness, um, as I said, substance abuse and family violence, in uh, and, and younger parents are more vulnerable, uh, we know that we need to wrap around and support them. And, and MacKillop, thankfully, has been able to provide programs that do exactly that. And we're seeing a downturn and a, and a dramatic improvement in the parenting. Oh, and that's good. Yeah, that's good. so there's, there's, uh, we, we can really make a difference. OK. Is it difficult? Because I, I'm not sure how it works, but if families are vulnerable but they're not seeking assistance, how can you actually help them? Well... There's, there are a lot of families that voluntarily seek assistance, okay. so, that, so that's a fact. And, and in Australia and in Victoria, we have a, um, a what's called a universal platform, so they're your maternal and child health nurses, your community health, those, those services that are available across the whole population. Then you have your, if you think about the triangle, the middle bit is for families who are vulnerable and, and frequently um, they are self-referring or the school or the doctor or the, uh, you know, the local police, somebody might say, look, here's a place you can go. What we, what we know is that uh, those agencies providing services are, are, can't keep up with the demand. And then the very tertiary end or the pointy end of that triangle is what we call the, the statutory end where, where things are so dangerous and so at risk that children and uh, the, the family is in the children's court because child protection have intervened and uh, despite child protection's efforts to um, make a difference and to address the protective concerns as they're called, um, things are too difficult and too dangerous for the children and then they do need to be placed in, in alternative care. So that's right at the end of the line and you'd hope that you'd be able to intervene and do something before you get to that stage or before a family gets to that stage. Correct. So, so oftentimes there are many reports to child protection many, many reports before there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an intense enough response that will drive change in the family. So you have many families who are looking for help, some families who are avoiding help, uh, and, and, and that's where your children are most at risk, and yes. that's where you need that statutory order, often from the children's court, but that says, actually, sorry, mum and dad, you need to um, get help with the drug abuse. You need to stop the violence. Here's the behaviour change program. Here's the support from women's services. The children are at risk. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do you create, or go about creating a safe, nurturing environment for a family in crisis, uh, whether that family has put their hand up for help or not? The first step is to build a relationship with them. I remember, remember years ago as a family counsellor in Fitzroy and 
um, there were many referrals to um, for, for this family, people saying that the kids, there were four or five children. She was pregnant with a fifth, I remember, and... Um, they, you know, they had multi, uh, multiple problems and uh, the kids were seen with bruises, there was neglect. Um, what, what was really important, uh, you know, I, knocked, I remember knocking on the door and no answer, no answer, blinds are down. And if, if we'd have just accepted that, you know, we wouldn't have got through the door and the child protection had been in and out of that family's life. What made a difference was actually being able to knock on the door, eventually uh, not giving up. So, uh, and, and then forming a relationship with this poor mum who was totally depressed, scared stiff because she'd been in care herself. Um, adults had harmed her in her life. She'd been sexually abused. She'd been um, victim of violence in different relationships. So, you know, put yourself in her shoes. Why would she trust anybody? Of course. So yeah. the first step is always forming that initial relationship and, and then rolling up your sleeve. So everybody was worried about the children not going to kinder, they hadn't been immunised, the you know, possible physical abuse, people were worried about the partner, all of that stuff. Um, but when I said to her, look, if, if I could be helpful, what would you want? She said, I need a new fridge. The fridge is broken. Okay. And that's where we started. She yeah. didn't have any disposable nappies for the baby, you know. So, what what was really important was to start where she was at and yeah. and um, prove that I was not going to be uh, somebody driving her mad or telling yes. her what to do, yeah. but but actually getting alongside her. Also, though, being clear about the bottom lines. Yeah. So you form a bond, um, and together you work out how we can actually set an agenda. So you're not just dropping in for a cup of tea. We're actually actively working towards change. And, okay. and what she wanted was to get the welfare off her back. Sure, sure. And I said, fair enough, okay, and that's my job to help that happen. So what would it take to get the welfare off your back? Okay, well, they've, they're complaining about the house being dirty, the kids, okay, right, let's roll up our sleeves. And we worked out how we'd... So you chunk it down. So from being totally overwhelmed, you know, to actually have somebody with you, and then I was able to bring in other services, financial help, counselling... Um, you know, got the maternal and child health nurse because she felt ashamed going into the centre to actually come to her. Um, was yeah. able to help her to get the Simple family violence like order. Yeah, and, and then, the, then the more complicated things like the family violence intervention order. Right. Because but she was scared stiff of this partner but didn't know what to do. Does, so bit by it, bit by bit we got things sorted. Sure. Does it take a while to build up that level of trust? I mean, trust is a vital word in all of this. I imagine it would take some time. Well, that did, but... Once you're in, it's surprising how quickly you can work. So once you're actually um, proving, earning your stripes, I call it, yeah. you know, as, yeah. a, as a worker, be whether you're a caseworker or a, a counsellor or a therapist, one, you've, you've got to actually engage and be of use, you know, have some meaning that matters to the family. Yeah, and I can't imagine what it's like for someone like that who's been abused at a young age and then is going through the same sort of thing with her kids and can't trust people. I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle or, that I'm just not aware of or can really appreciate. But I imagine that when you work with people like that, you, you see similar traits with a lot of these uh, women, a lot of these wounded families, if I can put it that way. Absolutely. Where they, where, uh, and if you understand trauma, so when they're angry at you, when you, um, you know, if you're a bit late for the point where you've, you, you can't be there 24-7 and they get angry, well, you think, well, yeah, they're going to be angry. I don't take that personally. No, because that would be the, uh, an emotion that comes out automatically. Correct. Or they might shut down. 
so that engagement in the in in the process of change and working on the goals we set you've got to be resilient as a as a worker and and what that's why it's so important to understand trauma and how people can be triggered so sure, sure. so one one woman she was uh, this is when I was working with the department of human services she talked about when she got in the car that belonged to the department, the Govey car, as she called it, the smell of the car took her right back. She was an Aboriginal woman to when she was taken. Mm. So things like that that we don't often even know in the here and now. We were helping her, but she just yep. shut down when she got in this car. And I said, "What's you okay? She said, oh, I'm not okay, I'm not okay. Absolute anxiety, panic attack. And it was a trauma response. And yeah. she'd been triggered by the smell of the, you know. Yeah. It's a lived experience, and unless you lived that experience yourself you can't really appreciate it can you that's it so so all of our staff at MacKillop are trained to understand trauma we've embraced what we call the sanctuary model which we train everybody right from the get-go to understand how the brain works how tri- what's what, what's intrusion what, what are triggers what are normal responses why do people use drug and alcohol it's to numb the pain of course. it's to, it's an anesthetic you know it's because the pain they experience is overwhelming Yes, and that's the other thing, trying to get them off the drugs and break that cycle, because it is just a vicious cycle. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, we've seen, and you mentioned it earlier, about the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Sexual Abuse, about the absolute need to protect, protect children. What sort of services do you provide to help children in need? A range of services, David. We have um, thankfully been able to grow our, what we call, early intervention. So that's uh, services which is those services that are providing family counselling, family therapy. So in New South Wales, we, we were able to get funding to, to, we have now six teams running an evidence-based program in New South Wales. Uh, in Victoria, we've been able to engage earlier with a program called Cradle to Kinder, where we engage with uh, the most vulnerable families referred by child protection, where the children are at risk, the babies are at risk of coming into care. So mm. complex situations. And we're able to provide that outreach, multidisciplinary response. Um, we partner with other agencies and we can hang in there for that four years and we're seeing amazing results. So we provide that early intervention, family preservation services is a jargon. Yes. Um, we also have um, homelessness services, disability services. Uh, we, we actually run schools. We have two schools soon to open a third next year here in Victoria. Um, and... What we know is that if, uh, if children have complex behaviours or they're um, f- different forms of disability and they're not able to settle in the classroom in mainstream schools, that actually puts enormous pressure on the whole family. And um, w- we've seen a pattern where some kids, because their behaviours are so through the roof, often because of the trauma yes. or because they've got some sort of uh, other problems going on organically, um, they are excluded from mainstream education. So we um, have different education programs. Some are outreach, trying to those kids who are school refusing, who are in out-of-home care. And we run a school in Geelong and in Maidstone. And we've got a, um, a, a waiting list of 40, 50 families. We've got one person driving from Kilmore to Geelong every day because they, they are mm. so delighted their child is finally learning. That's great. So we have this program called Relate, uh, that has it's rethinking learning and teaching environments is the acronym. Yes. And yeah. uh, it's all based on what we know works when children have experienced trauma. They need to have a different way of um, teachers connecting with them. Okay. That must be a, a thrill when you see those positive outcomes. 
Oh, I, I love it. I love it. And, and uh, you know, we have enormous passion for what we do. So on any one night, we would be looking after 800 children around Australia, in just from MacKillop. And that's our... We have an incredible... Uh, generosity in the community and these heroes are foster carers yes absolutely and uh you know on we have almost 1200 foster carers and some have the children full time some but we we have a big pool of what we call respite carers because you know it does take a village to raise a child and all parents uh, need a break Uh, so we have um, emergency care respite and um, and longer term foster care and then we also have residential care. So uh, we now have 50 homes uh, throughout Victoria and New South Wales. Uh, we're up to four children in a, in a house in the community and we have specially trained carers and a team that provides clinical services as well to children in residential care. And they've often had multiple um, breakdowns of other placements uh, where their kinship... So most children in Australia who are in out-of-home care, about 60% are in what we call kinship care. So they're with family or loved ones who say, yes, I'll look after you. So they're what we call kinship care. Okay. And only about 5% in residential care. The rest are in foster care. Got it, got it. And you've, look, you've touched on this, but perhaps you could expand a bit more. One of your goals is to empower vulnerable children, um, young people and families. Tell us a bit more about that and how you can actually empower them. I think the, the key thing is to, it, regardless of the program that children or young people or families are, are engaged with at MacKillop, that there's a deep respect for listening to the voice of young people. Yes. And uh, frequently they, they will have the answers. I, I remember working as a family therapist with one family and the parents came in, the 12-year-old was refusing school. They said, oh, we won't bring the little ones. I said, no, no, bring them. So there was a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and we sat okay. them down at a little table. And, I, and uh, what um, I asked you know, each of the family members what they thought was going, what would they like to get out of if we could help them, what would be good for them to walk away with, all the normal stuff you do. Yep, yep. And um, nobody was talking much. And then all of a sudden, um, the, the four-year-old piped up and said, well, if Daddy stopped hurting Mummy... Then mm. mummy wouldn't have to take the tablets and then she'd be able to get out of bed and take um, Sally to school. And that came from the child? That came from the four-year-old. Gee whiz. Now, that, that, that referral was for school refusal, you know, and anxiety in the 12-year-old. It didn't mention family violence, mm. you know. Of course, that was a real dilemma because I had the perpetrator of the violence in the room, <laughs> yes. which you don't do. You don't no. put the couple together. But, you know, sometimes that happens. You can't predict... Uh, so we were able to work safely by, you know, working with that family over time. But we make sure we have, if children are in out-of-home care, we have other people other than the carers really engaged with the young person. We also have, using um, IT, data, viewpoint surveys, we, uh, they have an opportunity to go online. And uh, we have youth advisory groups. Um, we have a whole range of different ways that we can... Uh, make sure we're empowering and we advocate so we're trying to work at that um, government advocacy level so that the new start um, for example is totally inadequate the the uh, you know the Mm. when children leave care uh, at 18 it's it's cruel you know they go out uh, unlike other um, countries uh, internationally we've been very slow to provide ongoing um, funding for kids once they leave care 
Okay. So it's, it's uh, in many different ways. We're also advocating at that political level for systemic change. And is that, that fairly big? I imagine you'd have to do a lot of that uh, at the political level, a lot well, of adv advocating? We, we do our very best, yeah, and we join with others, so peak bodies uh, and uh, so, you know, there's various ways that we would be working on, I work on ministerial advisory groups, we, we agitate wherever we can and uh, try to develop that public policy that's much more family friendly and, uh, and supportive of children. Sure, and as we know, the, the, the money is uh, sort of dwindling and not at just that area, but a lot of areas these days, so it would make it harder, I imagine, to get a, a bigger slice of the pie. It is, it is, it is. And, and even though we know, just from that economic perspective, if the, uh, you know, Heckman's equation, if you spend $1 in early childhood, you'll save 17 down the track. Absolutely. Yep. So it, the, the evidence is in economically. It makes good sense. Even if you don't have the compassion or care for children and families, even if you just care about the dollar, it makes sense to fund those earlier intervention services properly. Yeah, why don't governments spend more money in this area? Because as you said, it's really a no-brainer in many respects and society needs it. I mean, you've got to have a, a well-functioning society and as we discussed, families are breaking down. So some governments are, so some areas of Australia are, are actually getting smarter at funding and particularly those programs that are what we call evidence-based or evidence-informed that have a proven track record of working. Um, we, we know the Scandinavian countries, for example, uh, you know, the UK fund at much higher levels than Australia. So we are working for change, so we don't give up. Never give up, I'm sure. That's, uh, and I imagine that it, it's not just a, a political thing in terms of parties. I think Labor and Liberal have been very similar in the last uh, decade or two, haven't they? Well, we've got to understand that we have had very good ministers, um, but the ministers have to compete at the cabinet table around budget time. And, uh, you know, media drives a lot of, a lot of this. Um, so it's about helping um, people to understand what... what does the research tell us? And there's still a lot of stigma, the deserving poor, the undeserving poor, you know, the, the blaming of people that are unemployed, even though we know there aren't enough jobs to go around. So it's, it's breaking through some of those uh, um, pathologising, sure. stigmatising sort of attitudes that, that permeate. Mm. We, we work, um, we have an enormous uh, commitment to cultural safety. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of racism and racist attitudes. Um, we work with refugees uh, and, you know, the... It's the not, not just an issue within Australia, as we know, it's a, a worldwide issue, you know, stigma with refugees and others. People, some people just like to point the finger at them and say they're responsible for their own uh, plight. But as we know, it's not that simple and it's not true. It's absolutely untrue, yeah. So I'm not sure, I guess a lot of that gets back to education too. But uh, you never change some people's attitudes, but if you can get the majority of people on board, that would be a good thing. Absolutely. And, and also making sure that we walk the talk. So at MacKillop, we're doing whatever we can to respond to that need. That's great. Past adversity and trauma, and you've spoken a bit about trauma already. Uh, trauma for youth can continue to affect their ongoing behaviour well into their adult years. Uh, how can the cycle be broken and the person liberated, for want of a better word, from their past experiences? There are different ways, but essentially what we know is that stress is part of life. 
when we talk about trauma, we're not talking about normal stress. We're not talking about being scared of an exam or getting a parking ticket. Overwhelming events such as uh, witnessing your mother being bashed by the father that you love or sort of love, or, you, or and then that frozen terror that can happen and not knowing when it's going to happen, so you're on eggshells, that actually impacts the whole physiology of a child. So they're pumping adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. That actually impacts on the brain development. So these kids are wired to be much more um, focused on survival skills. So the limbic system is driving, the fight, flight, freeze response um, is, is absolutely in overdrive. So they don't then learn as well at school because they can't concentrate. And they're often misdiagnosed as having ADHD. Um, so what we can see is it, it's, it's the most unfair, vicious cycle. You know, you, have, you have this sort of terrible suffering that, that uh, children and young people experience. And some would say, oh, but she was only a baby. Well, actually, it's more damaging for the younger the child. So those first three years, 90% of your brain development occurs, you know. So the bulk of it. So what, what we know is that if you, um, if you can intervene earlier... Um, and prevent that harm from continuing and engage um, the, the perpetrator of the violence in facing up, taking responsibility, understanding the impact yes. on the children because they actually often don't get that. And, um, we, and then if I've worked with many um, adults who've been abused as children... And recovery is possible, you know, but it's actually helping them to have a space that feels safe enough to do the work. Yeah, and they have to put their hand up to it, I guess, and admit or understand that there is an issue there and that they're responsible and that they have to take control. Well, it's it's actually, they've, they've you know, there's a great book called Why Can't I Get Over It? And, that, and that's what outside people who don't understand trauma will say. I remember working with a Vietnam War vet who was totally ashamed because he still dreamt every night of the bombings and would thrash around and was drinking too much and angry and irritable and, you know, in, in big trouble. Yes. Was not a violent man. He was a very, very troubled man. Wife loved him, kids, but they, everybody was unhappy. Mm. Um, what he was scared stiff about was actually if he, if he talked about what was happening, people would, he, 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 people would think he was schizo, as he said. That's what he said. I'm scared stiff, they'll think I'm schizo. I said, what, does it, what do you mean? He said, well, I'll be dragged off. I said, have you ever spoken to anybody? No. He said, I, had it, I didn't have it as bad as others. Yeah. So this whole thing, of, and particularly for men, being stoic and not talking. So what we know, you have to actually process the trauma. That means to talk about it, grieve it, you know, marry up what's badgering around inside your head like a dog's breakfast, these unwanted memories that you actually haven't got control of. No. I think men are getting better at it, though. I think I look at my generation and my children's generation, and young boys especially seem to be getting better at talking about these things. I think the programs in schools are so important around respectful relationships and uh, giving kids a language for feelings, for emotion, and that's what we do constantly at MacKillop. Yes. We, uh, all our programs would have that intent and and then it's about actually helping people to face up where they have been um, uh, acting out in the ways that hurt others, either through violence or through sexual or abuse. Bullying. Bullying, yeah. Um, and, you know, this is a real issue for us working with kids in out-of-home care, particularly in residential care. We have to really make sure that we, we make um, that, that moral development of the young person 
Uh, it's, it's almost, we don't just say, oh, you're being traumatised, you poor thing, you can't help it. It's like, yes. no, OK, we, we get it. What's, here's your terrible suffering. But actually, none of us have got the right to hurt anybody else. No, not at all. Robin, uh, what, where can people go if they've got issues, whether they're aware of them or they're not? What sort of services are available? Well, it varies in different states, but all states would have uh, uh, phone lines where people can ring as an initial inquiry. Um, I know Lifeline gets over 2,000 calls a day. That's a lot of calls. In Australia, that's yeah. nationally. Um, you know, we have different programs uh, in uh, uh, men's helpline, uh, women's services, homelessness services. There's, there are, um, they're, they're available. And if, if, you, if you don't get somewhere with one, try another, is my advice. Um, but I think the system has really improved in terms of um, information that will enable people to access the right service. Okay, that's good. Now, MacKillop Family Services also work with Indigenous youth. Um, there's the Aboriginal Families as Teachers program. You also work to keep Aboriginal youth culturally connected to their communities. Can you tell us a bit about these strategies? Sure. Well, we've, we have a range of different approaches, but what we, the bottom line is that we know connection to culture is healing. And that intrinsic identity for each child and young person, if you're Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, your connection to country is so important. So who we are, where we come from, who are our mob, who are our family, where's our country, they're basic in terms of who we are. Sure. So uh, whether the young person... Um, if, if they're in care, particularly if they're in care, uh, we work very closely with the local Aboriginal uh, controlled organisations to develop what we call cultural plans and cultural safety. We've employed um, senior Aboriginal leaders within MacKillop to uh, support us to have a good hard look at ourselves. Are we genuinely culturally safe? For example, in Victoria now, we have smoking ceremonies inside houses where we have Aboriginal young people. Uh, we make sure that genogram, the back-to-country visits, are, uh, that, that opportunity is there, and we work really hard to find family and reunify. Mm. Um, in our MacKillop Rural, out in West Dubbo, we have uh, amazing um, Aboriginal staff who are outreaching to provide playgroups and um, family violence services to uh, families out in... Uh, those remote areas, Walgett, Lightning Ridge, all around uh, Dubbo, that, and they, where they travel hours and hours to get out to remote communities. Sure. We have a preschool at it. Uh, we, uh, so we, we, we do a range of different things. Yeah, that's great. I just love the fact that the smoking ceremonies have become part of the Australian way of life now, whether it be the AFL Grand Final or Rugby Grand Final or a whole lot of other events, there's always a smoking ceremony, which I think is very important. It just didn't happen 30, 40 years ago, but it happens now, and I think that's a very important uh, initiative, if you like. Absolutely. And to acknowledge country and uh, to, to pay our respects. Every single meeting we have at MacKillop, we do that. Mm, they were the first Australians. So Absolutely. They were here for tens of thousands of years yeah. before Europeans arrived. So yeah. it is a matter of respect and it is a good thing. Um, another program which you hinted at earlier, the RELATE model, which is about safe relationships in schools. Can you tell us a bit more about RELATE? Yes, so that's really a program within schools to make sure that we can respond to kids who've been traumatised. So we have smaller class groups in ours. We have two schools, Geelong and Maidstone, and uh, about 100 children all together, and we're soon opening another school in Caulfield in Victoria. And 
with other states that are interested in what we're doing because we're getting amazing results. So many of these kids were school refusing, not going to school at all. Our attendance rates are about 80%. The critical incidents have decreased also by the same number, even though we were growing the school at that time. So we have these beautiful uh, teachers, great principal, and we work very hard to train our staff differently. Okay. So bringing these trauma-informed approaches uh, into the classroom and into the whole of the organisation has really made a difference. And we're teaching other schools, mainstream schools, to do that. We have uh, three schools at the moment and we're being evaluated by Monash, so three mainstream schools who've embraced the Relate model. Um, so it's, it's very exciting. So it's a whole school community approach. It is. And you do need that in order for kids' behaviours to be understood by everybody and uh, for the school to be able to uh, respond appropriately. Okay. Um, Robin, you mentioned uh, some of the programs with Indigenous youth. I uh, also believe you do some exciting work in the Pilbara in uh, Western Australia. Tell me a bit about that, if you could. Yes, well, we partner with Wirika Maya, which is an Aboriginal health organisation in Port Hedland, to provide for the first time on country foster care with Aboriginal families for Aboriginal children. Prior to that, um, which we've, we've been doing that for about five years now, prior to that, children were taken from the north down south and put in foster care. So it's very important, that connection to country and greater chance at reunification, of course, and working with the family if they're within community. Uh, and being invited to partner with Aboriginal organisations is really important, and we do quite a bit of that in different places. Um, the other program up in at the north at Roeburn, we have an Indigenous healing program. We also have family support. We also support kinship carers. Okay. So, What's the healing part about? What's, what, what's involved there? Uh, that's where children have experienced um, sexual abuse or abuse of some form. Uh, so it's very important, again, to work with the whole family and uh, work with the parents who are the main healers, really, of the children. Yeah, and it is important, uh, well, with any family, but in, on the Indigenous side as well, family is just vitally important, isn't it? Oh, critical, critical. Connection to family, community, culture is, is critical to that healing. Great. Uh, finally, and I always hate to say finally because this has been uh, tremendous, um, your organisation, you have a lot of volunteers. What can people do or how can people get involved if they really want to uh, assist you in any way? Ring us up. We have an enormous need for foster carers. We are crying out for more foster carers. We cannot keep up with the requests from uh, different states to have carers who are available for children. And anyone can be a foster carer. We, we, we don't discriminate. So uh, we do have a rigorous selection and, and training and uh, all of that, as you would expect. Sure. Uh, however, um, we are very inclusive and uh, we, we welcome inquiries from, from all over. Um, we also have mentoring programs. We have other volunteer programs. So if you Google MacKillop uh, and contact us, we would... Um, and there's a lot of goodwill. At, down in Warrnambool in Victoria, we, um, one of our staff members went on the radio. We, were, we had a place for eight mentors and we had, we've got 35 fantastic That's excellent. Uh, applications. So there's a, there's a lot of goodwill in the community. I was about to say, there are a lot of good people out there. Perhaps some people don't realise that there is such a need for foster carers these days. Or even if you can't be the foster carer, to be someone who'll support the foster carer to, to help with their garden or to provide the respite care or to help us with fundraising. We, we could do a lot more if we could attract more money. Sure, sure. Robin, thank you very much for being on Figuring Out Families.
Thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Robin Miller. If you'd like more information about MacKillop Family Services, go to www.mackillop.org.au. If anything in this podcast has raised issues for you, there are organisations out there that can assist, including Relationships Australia, Beyond Blue and Lifeline, among others. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and remember to visit www.magellan.media for more details or to leave a comment. You can also leave a comment on our Figuring Out Families Facebook page. Thanks for listening. I'm David Ahern. Until next time, this has been Figuring Out Families, brought to you by Magellan Media.